When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For those of us who don't look like we have perfect Christmases at all, it's not about a Christmas that I can buy. It's not about a Christmas I can make. Jesus holds us and revives us and remakes us. I want a Christmas that actually whispers Jesus. I love Christmas music. From the day after Thanksgiving, I've got Christmas music going in my house. We love being with our family at Christmas. We just have a great time together. Waking up, seeing the Christmas lights reflecting off of the front of that shiny brand new guitar, that is like one of my most burned in my mind Christmas memories because that's when the gift of music really kind of took off in my life. Joining us now is best-selling author Ann Voskamp. And thanks so much for joining so us. So grateful to be and here. And it's great to be here in person with you. I wish I could have brought snow from Canada for you. That, that would be great. That's, that's really all California. that's missing is a little snow falling from the sky right <laughs> totally. now. Well, Christmas is my favorite time of year. Um, I, I love Thanksgiving as well. And they're sort of like, you know, squished together at the end of the year. And we love to share Christmas memories. Do you have a memory of maybe one gift that really stands out in your mind? Actually, it's interesting. Um, our oldest son now, Caleb, is 28 years old. When he was five years old, he said to us, Mom, I don't understand. If Christmas is about Jesus' birthday, why do I get all of the gifts? Oh, good question. And he said, you know, you've always said that when we give to the least of these, we're giving it to Jesus, mm. which totally, completely flipped our Christmas upside down. So for us, for the last 20-some years... Christmas has been about giving to the least of these. So we don't actually exchange gifts on Christmas Day. The 14 days going up to Christmas, we open up the calendars from like Compassion and World Vision and Samaritan's Purse and Partners International. And the kids all got to pick out every morning for the 14 days before Christmas, mm. one gift they would like to give away. And actually that has been the greatest gift to actually be the gift to those in need. So for us, mm. that has changed Christmas. Well, you've got a, a book that I want everyone to know about, it, and it's all about what you call the greatest gift. Why do you call Christmas the greatest gift? I didn't grow up in a Christian home, a believing home. Mm. Christmas really was about the gifts. And I became a Christian in my late teens um, and realizing like, I don't wanna wake up on Christmas morning and miss what Christmas is really about. It's about the savior of the world, about God himself come down to rescue us. So did I have a way of going through the holiday season that actually turned me away from the noise and the rush and the hustle to mm. have um, a Christmas that was simplified? That isn't simple circumstances, but simplified is about focus that was actually focused on Jesus. So the greatest gift is about 25 days of devotional readings taking you from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament to Jesus' birth. Where mm. All of these stories are actually pointing to the coming Savior. So that when you get to Christmas morning, 
you don't miss the greatest gift, the greatest love story that's ever been told right from the very beginning. That, that's so important. And I think all of us want to do that. And, and at the same time, mm. we, 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 want to, we want to see friends. It's the time where people come Beautiful. in from all yes. over the country. Yes. Maybe if you've got grandkids that you yes. haven't seen, they're wanting to come visit you. And so oh, there's so much to do, but there's so much to distract us from mm. that that main story. Mm. Do you have do you have traditions like putting up a nativity or do you have certain decorations yes. that you yeah. make sure are out? Always. And um, you, do you use those as more than decorations? I mean, are those sort of like teaching tools and things like yes. that? So we always have a lot of nativity scenes that go out, but we usually don't put baby Jesus in until like Christmas Eve. Till Christmas Eve. But with the greatest gift, which also, so this is the adult version and then there's like the family read aloud version and then there's the pop-up version for the kids. But each of these 25 devotional readings that are taking you from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament to Jesus' birth, each come with an ornament. Mm. So after you're done reading, you get to hang the ornament up so that your Christmas tree is telling the gospel story right from the very beginning yeah. that God was coming to save us. So it's been great for the kids. They could actually, when people would come to say, oh, tell me about your ornaments, because they were so unusual. They could say, oh, let me tell you this story about Jesus yeah. coming and this story. So I think it's a beautiful evangelistic way to go ahead and reach out to your neighbors and the family that comes into your house over Christmas yeah. to say that this really... We have a Christmas tree that's up, but do you know the family tree of Jesus that makes sense of where he came from and that Jesus comes through a really messy family tree. In the Old yeah. Testament, there's all kinds of cheaters and adulterers and murderers yeah. and it's messy. Yeah. And Jesus comes into that family tree like he grafts our messy families into his tree at the foot of the cross. I, I love trees. And um, Martin Luther, I think it was, mm. uh, used a Christmas tree with lights hanging in yes. the tree to represent the stars over Bethlehem yes. and the gift of the Christ child there beneath the tree. And um, I, I, I just love that uh, it was Jesus who was hung on a cross. Yes. Uh, uh, Cursed is every man who's hung on a tree. Yes. And we receive salvation at the foot of that tree uh, on our knees uh, by faith. We receiving actually, the gift. Actually, right at the very top of our Christmas tree, we don't usually have a star. We have a Christmas ornament that has a Christmas tree on one side. When you flip it on the other side, it is the cross. Because so, I, I think we need to remember that Christmas is only half of the story. Yeah. He comes, but then he goes to the cross. So to, when we look at the tree, are we actually moving past the tree towards the cross? Yeah. There's so much more that we're going to get into as we talk about this family tree of Jesus yes. that you're going to unpack for us and help us to go even deeper with the meaning uh, and the reason for the season. We're going to talk more with Anne right after the break. But before we go, check out what some of our guests had to say about their memorable Christmas gifts. Christmas is coming. Do you have a favorite Christmas tradition, song, recipe, memory? Our Christmas was always so special growing up. I remember being little and an art easel being there. And it just like, I just remember that as a little girl being like, gosh, someone loves me this much. I think the gift of Christmas is like, someone loves me and knows me this much, and that's like exactly what Christmas is about. I got my first real guitar when I was eight years old, that Christmas morning, waking up, seeing the Christmas lights reflecting off of the front of that shiny brand new guitar. I know it's cliche, but that is like one of my most burned in my mind Christmas memories, because that's when the gift of music really kind of took off in my life. Randy, I love Christmas. Do you have a favorite Christmas memory? You know, one that comes to mind uh, is when we got our first dog as a family. I grew up with dogs, but when our daughters were five and seven, uh, we got an English Springer Spaniel that somebody gave to us, and I brought it home, and my wife had never had a dog, but she'd always loved dogs. 
The delight that we got from this little dog that we named Champ was like the most memorable Christmas because God had sent this gift for us that was really this little dog and we ended up all falling in love with him and especially my wife Nancy who the rest of her life had to have a dog. She just went home to be with the Lord a year and a half ago and she had told me, Randy, when I get sicker and sicker, just put the dog up on the bed with me. And then she also said, and turn on some football, because <laughs> she's yeah. also a football fan. But I think of that Christmas, and I think of her delight in dogs that really came out of that first dog that she had. And that made that Christmas so special. I was wondering if you have a favorite Christmas memory. Yeah, so you know that I grew up in the foster care system, and the second time that I went in, I went in two days before Christmas, so Christmas Eve Eve, but there was a woman in our town, her name was Tanya, and she went to the system, the caseworkers, and she said, I don't want her and her sister to go into the foster care system yet, I want them to spend Christmas with us, because she didn't know if the foster family would have presents for us or if they, they wouldn't know us, and so we spent Christmas with her, and she got us, like, the, this whole stage full like a presence filled like to our faces so wow. many presents she had two biological children and I felt bad for them because <laughs> we had way more presents than they did combined and I opened up all these presents I asked her if we could return them for gift cards and she said yes and I got all these gift cards and then I went and I got all these things that I wanted then I turned 18 and Tanya's still in my life she's still my mentor she's my mother figure and I went back to her and I was like, Tanya, why did you let me do that? Like, why didn't you teach me a lesson on gratefulness, thankfulness? That was a terrible thing for me to do. And she said, that's not what would have taught you love in that moment. It's not what you needed. And that Christmas lesson has been something that I have carried into all of my relationships. What would show love to this person right now? What might they need in this time, even if it's not what I think? should be happening. I do have a favorite Christmas memory. Five years ago or so, we had a young woman who came and spent Christmas with us, and um, she had not been around Christians very much, didn't know a whole lot about Jesus and who he was. But in our family, whenever we have a meal, we say a blessing, and then we pray together, and uh, we take turns. So we're going around taking turns, and I, I didn't ask her to pray because well, she'd never prayed out loud before in her life. So on Christmas Eve, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot. And I know you've never prayed out loud before. So that's why, you know, I'm just skipping over you. And she said, you know what? I think I would like to try it. So it just so happened that her time to pray was on Christmas Day. So she was very nervous again, never prayed out loud before. And she said the sweetest prayer. And then at the end, instead of saying amen, she said, and that's all. And I'll tell you what, Kurt, that was such a Christmas blessing to me. So this precious young woman prayed for the very first time on Christmas Day in our house, and it was one of the best Christmas presents I've ever received. Oh, thank you for sharing that story with us. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. So, Anne, you mentioned Jesus's family tree, yeah. and you focus in your book uh, the Greatest Gift about Jesus' dad and his grandfather and then great-great-grandfather and even some great-great-grandmothers and, and you go so far yeah. back. Why do you focus on that? In Jesus' day and age, it wasn't your line of work or your line of credit or your line of accomplishments mm. that gave context to who you were. 
in Jesus' time, it was your family line that gave context to who you were. So when we put up our Christmas tree, if we don't, actually, when you go to the New Testament and you're reading before Jesus' birth, what do you have before Jesus' birth? The genealogy of Jesus. Yeah. So far, when we put up our Christmas tree, for our Christmas tree to really make any sense, do we understand the family tree of Jesus? Because when we see the messy family that Jesus was part of, the, you start to read Genesis, and you go, oh my goodness, these people are liars and cheaters and are terrible people. Yeah. Jesus comes into that family line. And actually, the tradition of going through from Genesis, reading through these highlights all the way through Genesis to Jesus' birth in the New Testament, it's called the Jesse tree coming from Isaiah. And that verse is, out of the stump of David's family, will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bringing fruit from the root. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to the world. The nations will rally to him and the land where he lives will be a glorious place, Isaiah 11, 1, 10. So the tradition of the Jesse tree is like, look it, God went ahead and promised to David mm. that his family would be an heir forever, but the family was so messed up that actually the family tree was like cut off. But the shoot that comes out of that stump is Jesus who comes to save us all and graft us in mm. to the family tree. So when we put that, when we start with the Jesse tree and read all of these stories, we're starting to understand, oh, look it, I'm part of a family tree that we read from Genesis all the way through of really messy families. Mm. But Jesus goes to the tree of Calvary yeah. to graft me in and give me his perfect rightness. And I think it's, I think sometimes at Christmas, we are so burdened with comparison that our Christmas isn't as good as everybody else's. We come into Christmas with a million expectations yeah. and we think, oh, I don't measure up to everybody else. And I think it's a beautiful thing to have a tradition that says, oh, I'm going to pause at Christmas, light a candle every day, sit with the, the greatest love story that's going to take me through these high points all the way through scripture to say, look at messy families. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to save us and graft us into his family. Yeah, that's 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 so good. And families, uh, at times, they can feel like a blessing and a curse, right? <laughs> well, because you love holidays, getting it's tender. Yeah, and yes. can be tense. Yes. In your study of Jesus's yeah. family, yeah, which is not uh, made up of all perfect people no. by any means. Where no. do you start? Do you go all the way back uh, to to Jesse, or do you go Actually, back? Actually, we're going right back to Adam and Eve. So you're going to Adam and Eve. You're going to start right back there. You're going to look at the the mm. messiness of Jacob and how Jacob got all kinds of things wrong at the time of Jesus. Usually genealogies were only about men and not about women at all. Women were invisible. Yeah. But in Jesus' family tree, actually besides Mary, there are four other women who are named who all have really messy stories. Rahab, Tamar, Bathsheba, all, and Ruth all have really complicated stories. And they all are part of Jesus' family tree. They were all foreigners, yeah. women who have been underappreciated and unnoticed. Those women Jesus saw... And we're brought into the family tree. Actually, at home, we actually have a painting called The Four. And it has a picture of the, all four of those women who were grafted into Jesus' family tree. And I think yeah. women at Christmas can feel like so burdened and so unappreciated and so unnoticed. And feel like I have a really messy story compared to everybody's Pinterest or Instagram perfect story. But to be able to sit down and go, oh, no, look at Jesus came from messy people just like me. Mm. Well, why do you think? Do you, can, can you maybe... Um speculate as to why <laughs> some of these women were in Jesus's lineage, like Tamar, yes, like Rahab. Yes. Like, what do you think God may have had in mind with that? I think God wants us to know that those who are marginalized, 
those who are on the outside, those who feel oppressed and forgotten. God comes for those messy people. And I think especially the story of Rahab for me is so powerful. She, um, Joshua sends spies in to see, could they go ahead and conquer um, Jericho? And Rahab, who lives it, I mean, she's a prostitute. Rahab is in a place that's completely godless, yet she believes in God, that God is going to go ahead and bring the, bring the Israelites into the promised land. And she helps those spies. And she asks those spies, can you go ahead and make sure me and my family are saved when you come? Right. And they say, yes, if you hold out this red cord out your window. Yeah. And I just, that story gives me such great hope that people in messy, difficult circumstances God will reveal himself to them. And actually in Hebrew, that red cord that she hangs out the window, it's actually in Hebrew, it's called tikva, and it means hope. And I think every time we, we tie up a Christmas present with a red ribbon, can we remember, ah, oh, Jesus' blood at the cross, that scarlet red blood shed for me. That's the only hope line that I can hold on to. Mm. I think each of the stories that we read in the, the Old Testament, they are foreshadowing the coming greatest gift, the only hope we actually have, which is in Jesus Christ himself. Of, of all of those people in yeah. Jesus's family tree, uh, do you have a favorite? Do you have a character who's named there, whose story means the most to you and your family at Christmas time? For me, I really do think it's, it's Rahab and, and it's Ruth. Ruth's story, she is, I mean, she's lost her husband. She loses her family and comes back. But she believes that Jesus, that God, is speaking to his people. And she follows Naomi back to Bethlehem, which is the house of bread where Jesus someday will be born. And she ends up marrying Boaz. Boaz, who becomes the great-grandfather of David, and Rahab is part of that family story. So Rahab and Ruth become grafted into Jesus' family tree. I think that gives me great hope that, I mean, for someone who was raised in a non-Christian home, Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. God leaves heaven and comes down. He comes mm. to rescue us in messy situations. For those of us who don't look like we have perfect Christmases at all, it's not about a Christmas that I can buy. It's not about a Christmas I can make or Christmas I can produce. What I really want is a Christmas I can hold. And Jesus comes as a babe to a manger that can, I can hold that babe and the babe can actually hold me. Jesus holds us and revives us and remakes us. I want a Christmas that actually whispers Jesus. When we come back, we're gonna talk with Anne about the joy of Christmas. Mm. We've got some more Christmas memories for you. Watch this. Christmas is around the corner. Uh, I can smell the apple pies and the, the cloves and the cinnamon <laughs> and the chestnuts over the open fire. Do you have any favorite Christmas memories, Christmas songs, Christmas traditions? Uh, for me, I had 35 Christmases before I even understood what Christmas was. So as an, as an adult, that 36th Christmas when I finally realized that it was representing something uh, that was true and that the perspective changed. You know, it wasn't about, well, do I give good enough gifts to my kids? It was really about sitting back and realizing that it's about a gift I could never give them. I think that first Christmas, when suddenly the focus wasn't on Santa Claus and the gifts, but was really on a celebration of the event that changed history, that for me uh, was the most powerful. I think one of my favorite things to do at Christmas time is what we always do, and that is the kids line up on the top of the stairs. They're not allowed to look and see the Christmas tree or the presents or anything like that. And I always come by with my coffee in the morning and say, well, kids, 
I have to break it to you, but, uh, you know, I, I think Santa was a little busy this year. He didn't make it to our house, and uh, I don't want you to be disappointed this Christmas. And they're like, oh, Dad. You know, they, they've heard the whole thing. What does Christmas morning look like in the Voskamp home? Well, um, we live on a farm, so the first thing that has to happen on Christmas morning is we have to go to the barn and do all the barn chores before right. we actually make it to. That's so right. everybody gets up really early and goes out and does, does the barn chores. And when we come in, Christmas morning actually is the biggest breakfast of the year for us. So we try to think about what would we, what would we have for breakfast if it was fit for a king, set for a king. So it is the most opulent breakfast that you can possibly imagine. Mm. Um, so that is our Christmas morning. And then we do, because we don't exchange gifts on Christmas Day, we do have stocking stuffers. So everybody exchanges their stockings and opens up their stockings. But every Christmas evening for us is kind of our highlight. We, um, we've probably been doing this for at least 15 to 20 years. Um, we go back to the woods, usually Christmas afternoon. I set up a nativity scene a large nativity scene out in the woods and set up candles. And we end Christmas evening by going back to the woods with hymn books and song books and sing hymns and Christmas carols in the woods that is all lit up with candles over nativity scene. So that is how we finish Christmas. Wow. Yes. This... And some, I will say some years we've had to do it in a little barn because in Canada we get a snowstorm. <laughs> but 90% of the time we are out in the woods and that's how we finish Christmas Wow, the day. boss camp is out in the woods with hymnals singing. This sounds like a scene out of Lord of the Rings it's or actually, something. Actually, some and, years it actually <laughs> looks like that. But actually, it's actually it's been really neat because we've had um, three of our sons have gotten married this year. The daughter-in-laws this past week were saying, okay, so what time do we show up on Christmas Day? And the sons all said, well, we have to make sure we're there for the Christmas sing song with the nativity scene in the woods. So that was their highlight that they yeah. want to make sure that that tradition, even with their families and their Christmas, that's how we finish Christmas Day. So how do all of these traditions that you, you, yeah. you celebrate with your family and friends at your home from yeah. the Jesse tree yeah. uh, to going out into the woods yeah. and singing yeah. hymns with uh, a nativity, yeah. um, does this help you in mm. terms of looking forward to what's to come in the new year? Yeah, I think, um, I think two things. I think, I think comparison and expectation can really undermine the joy of Christmas in so many ways. So I think it's really beautiful that Thanksgiving comes before Christmas. So can we work on having a practice of gratitude? Because I think if we really want joy, joy comes from gratitude. From gratitude. So, so we start Thanksgiving with, am I writing down the things that I'm grateful for? And if I can keep that practice through the holidays, that brings me far greater joy. So it's not just the kids and I looking about what we can get, but we are grateful for what we already have. So I think that changes the tone around Christmas. Mm. And then I think when we go ahead and we, every year in December, we have these 25 readings that are gonna take us through the high points of the Old Testament. I start to whet my appetite to start January in a new year in his word. I want to know more of who Jesus is and his plan for me. I wanna actually steep and saturate in his word so I become formed and shaped more like Christ himself. So I think for our kids every year, while we had a practice of reading the Bible together, it was the highlight every year. We knew when we got to December, we we're gonna actually cover the whole grand vast arc of the Old Testament to see that, look, in all of these stories is the foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. So when we got to Christmas, we didn't miss Christmas. It was really about Jesus. And then we had this practice that carried us into the new year that we were actually rooted and grounded in his word. And let's begin again. We needed to stay 
in the story yeah. and let the story shape and form us as a family. Well, you're so focused on mm. the true story of Christmas and the greatest gift yeah. of Christmas. Yeah. And I know that there's people who are watching us right now and they're saying, oh, Anne, I would love to be able to have our house <laughs> as focused on Christmas as that, but I don't have a barn, I don't <laughs> live on a farm, and I, and, totally and, and, and I don't have any woods to sing, <laughs> totally to sing Christmas carols in. So what can people do? Yeah that can help them yeah. stay focused on the meaning of Christmas yeah. and keeping it sane yeah. and sacred. So I think Christmas is really, it's a beautiful time to go ahead and gather with family. It's yeah. a beautiful time to go ahead and lay out the plates and invite folks in and make kind of connections. I just think at the end of every day, even if it's, I think it's a really beautiful thing to go ahead and turn the lights out so that if the kitchen is messy or the living room is messy, I don't have to look at the mess. Can I turn the lights out, let the lights of the Christmas tree and light a candle? Mm and just be quiet for just five minutes and either open up a devotional or open up Jesus, his word and read just for five minutes to stay in the story, to ground myself in what is the true meaning of Christmas. It doesn't need to be big and elaborate. And you know what, if you miss a day, you miss a day. There aren't police for these kinds of things. Like just step in wherever you are and pick it up because the beautiful thing about Christmas is Jesus comes down. We're not held to a standard of perfection. We're held by his arms of grace. So wherever you are, it doesn't have to be long and elaborate. But what can I do if all of life turns in the turn? What can I do at the end of the day or the beginning of the day just to make sure my heart is turned towards Jesus so that I can keep company with Jesus throughout the day? How can people keep, keep it simple? Yeah. I'm thinking of those who think I want to keep Jesus, the focus of yeah. the season. But you know, Christmas is the time where the kids can be crazy. And I also have loved ones that aren't spending Christmas with us yeah. this year because yeah. they, uh, they passed away. So tender. Um, or grandparents who may be thinking, I'm not sure how many Christmases I will have left. Yeah. It's a very emotional time of year for it people. Is. What's one thing that some, somebody could do, uh, mm. maybe that's in your book, yeah. uh, a I, suggestion that would help them keep it simple? Yeah, I think at the end of each one of the readings, not only is there just a moment for reflection with us, some questions, and you can write it down. And actually, um, people have been doing this book for years, and it's a beautiful thing for them to revisit. Where was I at last Christmas and revisit those mm, answers? So it becomes yeah. like this annual tradition. But at the end of each of them, it gives you, um, do one thing today. So it gives you an actually an action point. And I think, for God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. It's the season of gifts. How, what's one thing you can do yeah. to be the gift to somebody else? And it might be a lonely neighbor next door. Yeah. And when you go to get a coffee somewhere, you go ahead and bring a coffee home. Or it might be going ahead and saying, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and write a note and tuck in somebody's mailbox. Yeah. And it is an emotional time, especially grief can feel compounded during the holidays. Yeah. And we kind of feel isolated from other people. So especially at Christmas, when we're thinking about gifts, can we think about the people who may feel on the outside. And when you think of just one small thing to do, that just in your regular practice, I mean, you may be at the grocery store or at the mall picking up gifts for your family. Could I pick up one gift to go ahead and give to somebody who might feel forgotten? That's part of being yeah. the gift and being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world and bringing more of the light of Jesus to a really dark place. And I'm thinking right now of somebody who may have just recently come to faith yeah. in Jesus yeah. right before Christmas time. Yeah. You said that you didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't either. And I remember the very first Christmas yeah. when it wasn't about Santa Claus yeah. and the North Pole as much as it was about finally understanding 
that the three wise men have something to do with this new faith that I now have in the baby in the manger that I never knew anything about. So for that person who maybe just recently came to Christ and this is their first Christmas, can, can, uh, can you just explain in simple terms what that greatest gift means to them? Yeah, it's really exciting. Actually, I've met people who go ahead and have a stack of the greatest gift to give out to people who become brand new Christians at any time of the year mm. because it's actually unpacking. This is this is kind of the whole arc of Jesus coming right from the very beginning. The greatest gift really is about God himself taking on flesh and coming to earth to say, I know you're broken and there's all kinds of sin and there's all kinds of messiness that you in and of yourself can't get right but I come as perfection himself and I will go to the cross and I will absorb all the brokenness, all the sinfulness, all of the darkness, all of the evil and all of the injustice in myself at the cross. And I will exchange that and give you my perfect righteousness, clothe you in that so Mm. that when I look at you, I see the perfectness of Jesus himself. I don't know about you, Kirk. My life has been messy and broken, and I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps enough to be good enough. The greatest gift is I get to unwrap the complete grace of Jesus Christ who takes me right where I am when I come to the foot of the cross and give him all my brokenness. Mm. Wow, that's great, and thank you so much. Thank you. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I hope on Christmas morning, in, in the midst of all of the gifts, you have an opportunity with your family to just really marvel in the greatest gift of Jesus himself. Don't go away, there's more to our Christmas celebration right after the break. But first, check this out. Keith and Kristen, Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, Do you have a favorite Christmas memory or tradition? I know it sounds predictable, but it'll always be singing the carols. From as a little kid Mm -hmm. um, to the very first composition ever did was a Christmas carol, to singing them in the kids' choirs growing up, uh, to today, you know, each year being able to go around the country and and lead Carnegie Hall singing Christmas carols. There is just, there's nothing like it. Particularly the moment when we, we just have the whole congregation sing Silent Night yeah, in I think, four-part I think, harmony. I think Silent Night, being able to lead that in four-part harmony, a cappella, getting people to sing in harmony and yeah. just hear their voices in the room. That's, that's, no matter what happens, that's always my favorite moment in the night. We do a Christmas tour most years, and then we sort of collapse whenever we're finished. So, Just zonk. Yeah, the actual Christmas time is being with our four daughters and um, baking far too many sweet things to eat and sort of hiding away for a few days and enjoying each other's company and the quiet of that and you know all these different joys that we have and the peace that we have to enjoy them because of the Lord, because of this story. And then also I think, because we travel quite a bit at Christmas, I always love the Christmas Eve service at our home church. I love that coming back to our our own little mm. group of people and, and singing together as a family. I, I, I just love things like that. That's yeah. beautiful. I really enjoyed our time with Ann Voskamp, reflecting on how to best prepare our hearts for the Christmas season. And we just scratched the surface of our Christmas memories. You ready to see some more? Watch this. Granger Christmas is coming up. Do you have a special Christmas memory or a meal that your mom made or a song that you could share? I have so many Christmas memories. It's always been a special time growing up and it still is today. Uh, But, and my answer is probably not what anyone would expect. But I remember 2008, we shared Christmas in Iraq uh, with a bunch of troops as we were going over there entertaining. And that was, that was just, it still is such a special time in my mind. I remember we ate in the dining facility and the, 
The only thing that even signifies Christmas on that day, on December 25th, was a, a little bitty Christmas tree at the end of the, the cafe line, and they were serving turkey and dressing. And I, I just remember thinking it really put it in a pretty good perspective for me. Uh, how important family really is when, you, when you're not with them and you see other people that have sacrificed and volunteered to be away from their family uh, for a different cause. It's, it really put it in a, in a good perspective for me. And I, I always think about that when the question comes up about uh, what's your favorite Christmas memory. Alisa, with Christmas coming up, do you have a favorite Christmas song? Oh, goodness. It's really hard to choose, so I'm going to choose between two. Okay. So the first one would be O Come Emmanuel, because mm. it lives in the tension of Israel expecting their Messiah, and then the rejoice, rejoice, uh, just that, that plea for the Messiah to mm. come is just so cool. I love that one. But maybe my all-time would be O Holy Night, because it's mm. so worshipful. It just it drives me to my knees in worship. Fall on your knees, O hear. The uh, angel voices, oh, night divine. Oh, goodness, I love that one. I love it, too. Sometimes when people ask me about the Christmas memory, I already feel bad for how intense this is going to be. But it's a sad memory, but it's for a good reason. And, and, and so you don't mind if I tell you a sad one, even no. though it's the best one. All right, go we're going to go deep here, Kirk. I know you like it. When I was uh, about 13 years old or 12 years old, my mom had cancer, and... She was so sick and, and she was in the hospital and we didn't know how long it was gonna be, we were all confused. And it just ended up that she was gonna have to have an emergency surgery. Like she was, she's gonna die if she didn't have the surgery. She had this surgery on December 24th. And so it was this time, I was a kid, you know, I was a, yeah. like all kid, dumb kid, I wanna open my presents, I'm all pumped up. And our family said, we're, we're, not, we're not doing it this year, we're pushing it to January 25th, a full month. And I remember going over to my, my best friend's house. We were jumping on the trampoline. And he's like, what'd you get for Christmas? And I remember saying, well, we didn't do Christmas now. And it was like this feeling of like, as if the whole world is ending, you know? And I say that that's my favorite because God used it to teach me an amazing lesson. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. My favorite Christmas memory, we moved from North Carolina to Massachusetts for my dad to plant a church in the early 1980s. And so after the Christmas Eve service, some years we would all get in the car, this old station wagon we had, and we would drive all the way back to North Carolina to try to be there in time for Christmas morning with my grandparents. And so for me, it was a double, it was a win-win. We got to do the Christmas Eve service with a real candle. Like, I don't like these churches that are using flashlights. I need an old school candle with real fire. That was the, That's what Jesus wants. It's in the Bible. No flashlights. I don't, I don't know if that's an exact <laughs> verse, but I loved that moment. And then we would all pile into the car. We'd listen to Christmas music and we'd drive all the way back down on Christmas Eve to be there in the morning. That's my favorite Christmas memory. One of my favorite traditions right now with the kids is right before the holiday season begins, we take some time to pack shoe boxes with Operation Christmas Child. Mm. We, we actually have a big party called our shoe box packing party right at the beginning of the season where we pack 100 boxes with our friends. I um, mean, it's a great way to remember those in need. It's a great way to remember what Jesus did for us. It's a great way to set the tone of giving and not just receiving for Christmas. And so I'm just so grateful um, for the reminder of who Jesus is and what he did for us and that we can take that gift 
and pour it out to others. So many of our holiday memories are of the sights and the sounds, the smells of the season, and of course, the food. Phil and Kay, with Christmas just around the corner, do you have a favorite Christmas song or recipe or family Christmas tradition? We love being with our family at Christmas. We have a, we usually do our Christmas the day after the real Christmas with all our boys coming about four in the afternoon. We have a great Cajun, beautiful uh, supper with all the shrimp, orchard, everything they can eat and can think about eating. My community is a small Catholic community on the southwest coast of India. And so at Christmas, any Southwest Indian family who is Catholic or Christian will go about starting in November making Christmas sweets. Mm. And so it can be things like uh, a toffee made out of fresh coconut and sugar and cardamom. Um, we make these things that look like empanadas, but inside is coconut and raisins and pistachios. Mm. And so my, I remember starting in November, my mom and my sisters and I making all of these sweets putting them into giant containers. And the whole point of it is because at Christmas, that's when families visit each other. And so people would come to visit and we'd say, sit down and we'd make them tea and bring out a platter of oh. all the Christmas sweets. And of course, there was always a little quiet judging going on about <laughs> who made the best ones. But that whole process of coming together and making sweets for us to enjoy, but primarily for people who would be coming to visit, I just love that mm. so much. I have so many memories of my mom cooking just the home cooked uh, brown stew chicken, plantains, macaroni and cheese, just the entire uh, Christmas kind of Thanksgiving spread as well. And it's always a, a blessing to be around family and to eat good and to open presents on Christmas. Yeah, man, it's the best time of year. Merry Christmas. I love that when we look back on our favorite memories, we're able to see what's really important. And in this case, why we celebrate. Tim's dad constructed a life-size um, manger. Yep. And we put it together every year. And just the process of like putting the wood together and nails um, to Christmas music and just preparing a place. And it's, li it's life-size. And it's just a great reminder to like prepare that place in our hearts. Um, and sometimes it goes really smoothly and everyone's hot cocoa. And sometimes we're like, pulling a hammer on a one kid's hand and you know, it's not all perfect all the yeah, time, but yeah. just the time to actually create a space for the gift to arrive um, is one of our favorite family traditions every year. So many things that are going wrong in our, in our world, it is good to remember that the creator of the universe uh, for whom we have great evidence now uh, is also still on the throne and, and, and will prevail in extending righteousness to, to all of us. Glenna, as we look forward to Christmas, um, are there any verses of scripture that remind you of the wonder of God becoming man? Yeah, I love uh, Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If you keep going through that passage, we're told basically that, that Jesus led the way for us. There's never mm. anywhere that he has called us that he has not already been. Mm. He is the firstborn from the dead. He was resurrected, which ensures our resurrection as believers in Jesus. And it all started when um, God sent him to be born as a baby, helpless, helpless baby. You have Jesus leaving heaven and all the royalty and the power and the authority and living a perfect life for us, mm. dying on the cross, 
being raised again three days later, that passage exalts who Christ is and how He is holding all things together. That's awesome. He can sympathize with us. Mm -hmm. He's our, our, our sympathetic high priest mm -hmm. who was tempted in all points, just like us, yet without mm -hmm. sin. And then His Spirit comes to live within us. Yeah, that's right. He's not immune to our struggles. He lived as a, as a baby, as a yeah. child, as a young yeah. man, as a man. He understands what it's like to be human. That's right. And it sets him apart from all of the other leaders of mm -hmm. other religions who seem to be sort of aloof and set apart mm -hmm. from the struggles of humanity. And as John Stott said, Jesus is the one who comes in, hangs on the cross, dives right into the very belly of death and suffering and becomes sin on our mm -hmm. behalf. And he said, that's the God for me. That's right, he is God with us. I am so enjoying hearing about these Christmas memories, aren't you? I, I love my own Christmas memories, and I'm sure you have some of your favorites too. In fact, I, I love thinking about Christmas when I was a kid, but it's maybe even more exciting as I think about Christmas as a parent, and one day as a grandparent, and what it will be like. I think of the, the food that we'll make. I think of the gifts that we'll give, and the songs that we'll sing. I wanna share with you something that I learned about maybe the most famous Christmas carol in the whole world. Do you know what it is? Joy to the world. I love that song. Did you know that Joy to the World actually was not written to be a Christmas carol at all? Originally, Joy to the World had nothing to do with Christmas when it was written. In fact, it wasn't even supposed to be a song. So here's the story. There was a man named Isaac Watts. He was a great hymn writer. And he ended up writing his most famous Christmas hymn by accident. He had actually written a book full of poems, and these poems were based on psalms in the Bible. And he did something kind of unique. He interpreted the Old Testament psalms in the fresh light of the New Testament and the life of Jesus. So for example, he took Psalm 98, which is a celebration of the great king of heaven and earth, the king of the church and the whole world, coming to judge the world in righteousness. And the whole earth celebrates the sea and everything that's in it and the land and the hills and the streams clap their hands and rejoice at the coming of the king. Well, a hundred years later, somebody else gets a hold of Isaac Watts's poem and puts it to music and begins singing it at Christmas time. And it ends up becoming one of the most famous Christmas carols of all time. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. That's straight out of Psalm 98. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. That's the, the hills, the streams, uh, the, the, the trees, the everything in all of God's creation is rejoicing that he is caring for it, and he is coming to set all things right. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks and hills, plains, repeat the sounding joy. They repeat the sounding joy. The picture is, is, is a chorus and an orchestra of voices that are all praising God for his righteousness and the wonders of his love. It goes on and says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That goes back to Genesis 
at the fall, where the earth is cursed, he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. I don't know about you, but I can find that curse just about everywhere. It's in my heart, it's in my home, it's in the earth, it's in the church, it's in the halls of Congress, and his blessings flow to all of it. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. That is maybe my most favorite verse of the song. And I want to key in on, on a few lines borrowed from Isaac Watts' Christmas hymn to help us prepare our hearts for the miracle of Christmas this year. Let's start with, let every heart prepare him room. Have you prepared your heart for Christmas? With everything going on in the world and the, the hustle bustle of the Christmas season, make sure that you remember that the way heaven flows and his kingdom comes to earth is through your heart and my heart. The gospel comes and miraculously transforms us, fills us with the spirit of Christ, the spirit of heaven. And then it wells up so much that it comes out in the songs that we sing and the life that we live. Let men their songs employ. I think that goes for women too. The song of the gospel shouldn't be locked up in the human heart. It should flow out from us to our children and to our friends in the form of gifts and the gospel and hot chocolate piled high with whipped cream and feasting and celebrating. Let earth receive her king. We, as the family of faith, the church of God, is the receiver of the overflow of heaven. We've received the king of heaven in our hearts, and now it is our sacred task to present him to the world. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Let that fountain of living water well up inside of you and flow into the lives of your children, your family, your friends, those at work, everywhere that you go with everyone you know. And finally, he rules the world with truth and grace. Did you know that all the storms that we see that appear to be random and chaotic, do you know that the things that we see going on in the world, even the bad things, the hard things, the difficult things in our own lives, financially, relationally, uh, all of these things are under the sovereign control of God as he rules with truth and grace. The scriptures tell us that he's the blessed controller of all things, working all things together for good for those who love him. He's taking all nature, all politics, all weather, all medical conditions, financial and relational situations, the joyful and the difficult, and he will use them sinlessly to prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. It is true that those who rebel against God and his Christ, the baby in the manger, those who sin are those who choose to suffer. Rebels will ultimately fall. False systems will ultimately collapse because the righteous king of heaven has come to judge the earth. 
and those who love him and know him will rise. Those who believe in the baby in the manger, though they die, yet shall they live, said Jesus, and those who believe in him shall never die. So this Christmas, prepare your heart, and when you sing joy to the world, remember, that song doesn't need to be reserved for Christmas time. Join in with the chorus of the hills and the streams and the birds and the rocks and the sea and everything in all creation, even the stars that shine in the sky to praise the King of heaven all year long. I wanna wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.